ClioCast. Hello and welcome to the very first episode of ClioCast, the flagship podcast of the all-new Clio magazine. My name's Lawrence Robertson, and in this series I'll be chatting to emerging artists of all kinds as they lead me down the creative pathways they've taken and offer a few insights for the benefit of anyone looking to make their own way in the wonderfully weird world of the arts. In this episode, I chat to Amelia Days, an artist and creative facilitator working in Nottingham, who I met through our mutual involvement in local charity City Arts. Amelia is an active practitioner in socially engaged art, with a keen interest in exploring the links between art, walking, food, community building and personal well-being. In this first half of a two-part conversation, we discuss the development of Amelia's career, including her involvement in the City Arts-run group Young Producers, with its links to the Nottingham Poetry Festival. For the uninitiated, we break down just exactly what socially engaged art consists of and delve into the specific benefits of walking art. We also explore the impact of the coronavirus pandemic on the growth of walking as a means of expression and how that fed into Amelia's development of her own creative enterprise, Meanderers. Listen along to find out more. Hi, Amelia. Thanks for joining me on ClioCast today. You've got such an interesting career that you're developing and you're involved in so many different kind of artistic projects. So we've got lots to cover. But just to start off with, I wanted to ask you, where did your kind of interest in art and creativity first come from? And how have you developed and refined that interest as you've gone along? I suppose it's always been there right from the very beginning. I've just always liked making things. And I've always been very curious about things and the world. Art provides the ability to ask questions about stuff and try and figure it out by making stuff. I suppose from my family as well. We're quite thrifty DIY kind of people. So if we wanted to do something or we saw something that we liked, we were always trying to figure out ways that we could make it ourselves. I think that artists get to ask really odd questions and pursue odd lines of questioning and strange thoughts and things in quite a childish sort of playful way that other people have to stop doing when they get a proper job. But if you're an artist, it is your job (laughs) to notice things that people don't usually and to ask questions and pry and explore and play. So we first met through the Young Producers Group run by City Arts in Nottingham, putting aside the fact that, as it turns out, we grew up in the same town, we went to the same school, and our parents knew each other. We met through Young Producers. For those who won't know, can you explain what Young Producers is? I know that I'm kind of a relatively new member of the group, so I'm interested to find out about how you got involved with it. But um, if you could explain what it is for the benefit of those who aren't aware. Yeah, Young Producers is a group, almost like a collective at times, but a group of people aged 18 to 30, roundabout, who just want to do stuff and make stuff happen creatively. The aims and directions and focuses of the group has changed over the years, but I've been involved with it since I was in my second year of uni. And I always think that pretty much everything good in my life career-wise can be traced back to something I've done at City Arts, some sort of connection made or a skill learned. It really has been a real game-changer career-wise. Some decisions you make in your life and you know that they are going to be significant decisions like whether to go to uni, what uni to go to. Going to that meeting that day was very spontaneous, didn't give it much thought. 
but it's actually had a, a huge impact on on my life and career decisions. It's you know it's where I learned how to be a workshop facilitator and lots of other jobs that I've had over the years and have had and still have now have been made through connections that I've met uh, with my time at City Arts. I do agree with you. Even in the short time that I've been there, I've developed a whole new social circle and made all sorts of really interesting connections and met interesting people and got involved in all sorts of different projects. And that's kickstarted a whole series of things in Nottingham. I mean, you know, it really does seem to be a catalyst for developing creative projects. Is there a particular thing that you've done with Young Producers that stands out as your highlight project? In terms of opportunities that City Arts has offered me, definitely going to Columbia last year was pretty cool. I wasn't even sure if I'd ever have enough money or the opportunity to even leave Europe on a holiday, even go on a long distance flight. I've never been on one before. That was um, to learn about art and business. So that was like the big wowsy opportunity. Then there's been other things that have happened. They've been quite small at the time, but have been like a little piece in the puzzle or it's led on to another thing the first poetry festival that we did it was very much a fringe event to the poetry festival it wasn't like a big major stage or anything it still isn't really it has been sometimes over the years more so but it was very small like very late edition only very just in the brochure kind of thing but I went down there was um like a photo op and Tommy Farmyard who it's one of the coordinators of Poetry Festival, said, like, oh, anyone's involved? So I went and then I spoke to him and said, oh, we've got this event, you know, it's all young poets and artists. It would be great if you could come along. He did come along and he brought Henry Normal with him, which was great because um, Henry Normal, if you don't know, is a um, famous poet and comedian and his production company, Baby Cow Productions, does Gavin and Stacey and things like that. And then there's a few bits that came from that event this idea of a poetry app was kind of developed in that project, went on for years and got funding and, and stuff like that. But it was great that I was just a tiny part of that little spark at the very beginning. And then from speaking to Henry Normal, like he got involved in that project and he's really interested in what we were doing there as young producers, this combination of art and poetry. And it, it was young people who were into the poetry pushing the boundaries on what poetry could be, what it means, what's text-based, what's spoken word, what, you know, all these new terms. So then subsequently from first getting involved through that and then other projects and stuff, he became a patron of City Arts. Oh, wow. And again, I'm just a, a very, my involvement has just been a very, very small part of that. And Young Producers has been a small part of that process. But the group and those projects are an important part of that trajectory and that timeline of quite a significant cultural things for Nottingham and stuff that I'm very proud of. So you've recently completed a master's degree in socially engaged arts. Can you explain the concept and the principles behind that kind of branch of creativity? Well, I was looking for a master's course for a while and um, I didn't really know what I was, I was searching for. I didn't know the term socially engaged arts. It's quite a new term to be established as that's what we've all decided we're going to call it now. And, and some people and places still call it different things. Yeah, I wasn't really sure what it was before the course, but it was actually what I was kind of doing all along and kind of what I wanted to do in fine art. Personally, I've been trying to use the term useful art. I want to be a useful artist. 
my real driving force is I want to feel useful. I think artists can be useful members of society. I don't like the stereotype that we are jobless bohemian layabouts. I don't think that's accurate at all. So I was looking for a course and that kind of seemed to be one of, one of the few ones. There are a few more courses of that nature popping up because the art world as a whole is going in more of that direction because so many art institutions rely on funding. The way that they get funding is by proving not only footfall, but also that it's useful, that it's engaging people who aren't usually engaged in art. And to do that, you need to be socially engaged. Because there's, it's still a relatively new field, there's still very much debate and different opinions about what qualifies something to be socially engaged. Could it just be art that's talking about a social issue? Or does it need to have some engagement? And the course that I was on directed us towards the latter. It needed to be not just talking about an issue from the abstract, from the safety of your studio. You needed to be there, engaged with people, people involved in the process, directly using art to try and address, question or solve the issue at hand with the people that it affects. Art is such a powerful tool, or can be such a powerful tool for communication and making people look at things in a different way, or not making, encouraging people to look at things in a different way. We've kind of talked about the, the concept of socially engaged arts, but for anyone who's thinking, okay, well, that's a very high-minded concept. How does it apply to something? You have a prime example in Meanderers. And well, I'll let you explain exactly what Meanderers is. You founded it with an emphasis on walking, creativity, and well-being. So I'm interested to find out the, the concept behind Meanderers and also how those key pillars interconnect as far as you're concerned. Meanderers formed as part of my final project. I knew that this was the direction I wanted to go in for a few years. For a while, it was kind of a wouldn't it be nice if idea. And then the, you know, we, we love them and we hate them, but uh, deadlines do make you do stuff. So the deadline and the sort of final project seriousness of it pushed me to do the wouldn't it be nice if idea and to make that a reality. Yeah, I'd done lots of workshops based around walking previously, quite sporadically. I'd go into different community groups and do something with that and then do an odd public one as well and then do things with sort of friends and people I knew. But yeah, very random before then. And what I kind of thought from that was that those things were really nice events and people really enjoyed this mixture of walking and creativity. But the problem with it was it wasn't regular. They were an event and they happened and existed and they were nice and then they were gone. What I felt that I was searching for personally and what I felt a lot of people needed as well was a sense of community. And I think that community is, is built through the regularity of activities, familiarity, repetition, positive routine those kinds of ideas so that's sort of why it formed I wanted to form an organization a heading rather than just continue to do singular events I wanted meanderers to be about all the things that I knew made me feel better I knew that walking made me feel better and I knew that making art in a fun way made me feel better nice people in a relaxed environment and talking to different people and also eating together I wanted to explore 
if that worked for other people and if I could facilitate sharing those ideas that might improve things for people and it would be a good way to research and better understand why these things made me and others feel better. I've had the pleasure of attending some of your workshops and also some of your drifts, which are both really interesting concepts. And so can you tell me a bit more about what each of these concepts is based around and why you wanted to focus on those? Because you've kind of done them almost like alternately for a bit. What was the thought process behind that? The two sides of it is, is the drifts are walks that are just about walking, always free to attend, and they are just a wonder a true meander and a drift. The name adrift comes from the French derive, which is a term from the Situationist International Movement, said to be one of the first walking art movements or to include that. And they specifically were looking at wandering through a place without any direction, without any leader, without any purpose against sort of the growing capitalism at the time and, and the constraints coming in around what public space could be used for and, and what it is and how we should be in society. So they sort of saw it as a form of activism, which I kind of feel that it is as well because we're, we're not using public space how people usually use it. We're also not doing anything wrong, but it is unusual to start a walk from somewhere where you don't know where you're going and you don't know how long it will take and no one's in charge of those things either. That's kind of a difficult concept to sell people on at the beginning. It seems like you just won't start, but as, as you've experienced, we do walk and uh, it kind of is not as mad as it seems. It's more natural, more natural feeling than um, you would imagine. Well, I find it's very liberating as well and it, it shows you a different side to places that you think you know well until you then do something like that and think, oh, actually, I've never been down here before. I've never seen that before. Or I've never taken the time to stop and notice that little thing. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a very playful way of walking. We try and get from A to B as efficiently as possible, following the little blue man on Google Maps all the time. But we don't, we don't have necessarily have to uh, use space like that. We can use it in a much more playful way, like the drifts. And they're and they're really good for this sense of very soft activism, and they're good for being playful and sort of exploring space a bit. They're also really nice as just a, a very gentle social activity. It's much easier to make friends walking side by side, face to face is sometimes too intense for people. So that is, that's a really nice, easy social one. And that's the one that I'm going to continue to do. The other side of it, the workshops, I ran three workshops as a program and I'm looking to launch another series of it. But obviously they take a lot more organisation because they include a planned creative walk, a social meal and an art workshop. So that's obviously a lot to organise, especially when I'm working with other people and bringing other skilled people in, perhaps to lead a walk like we did on the foraging walk or to cook food, things like that. Uh, they are a lot to organise, but uh, they are they are great when they're happening. And, and that was really testing out my main premise, which is that walking, social eating or commensality and creative making were like the ingredients for well-being and community building. And that's what I wanted to give everyone else. The first one was based around poetry. So I did a poetry walk, followed by alphabet soup, and then a zine-making workshop. So you'll, you'll notice that they're all extremely themed. I love a theme. 
Pareidolia walk. Pareidolia is the phenomenon of seeing faces in objects. So you see faces on the walk, and then we came back and we had pizzas that looked like faces, and then we did printing based on the faces we'd seen. And then there was a foraging walk that was led by a foraging expert, just in a very local park, where we found so much, even on a really short walk. And then a forage pesto lunch. It's surprising, in, in a way, how much you can find, even in the centre of a city. Yeah, it, I, it's just an, an abundance. I can believe it. I mean, yeah, I don't have expertise in everything, so I brought in an expert for the foraging, Dan the Forager. That I think that's really great as well. I really want Meanderers to be a platform that people with these specific skills can showcase themselves. I read that your interest in the links between walking and creativity originally came from a workshop that you did in 2018 called Maps to Nowhere. Can you tell me a bit more about that? So Maps to Nowhere is, it is what started it all really. It was a workshop that I first tried. I was on residency in Luxembourg. The residency was called Antropical. The people that I met there are still talked to and work with as an art collective different artists based all around Europe. That's also one of the really big defining decisions to do that. Um, has led to a, a lot of really good things for me. But the initial... So the, uh, the I'll explain the activity first and then I'll tell you where it's gone from. So if we were to play Maps to Nowhere, we would both draw treasure maps, like kids draw treasure maps. A star, a wiggly dotted line, maybe some odd instructions, like follow an insect or the wind or you know find something red abstract instructions perhaps but mainly just a wiggly line and an x marks the spot and we would follow this in real life and the weird thing about it i've done maps nowhere a lot in very rural settings in fields and woodlands i've done it in cities i've done it with groups of friends and i've done it with strangers and public and yeah lots of different situations and the weird thing about it is that it always seems to work you know if you're following a map the person who's giving you the map doesn't know where you're going there's no landmarks on it there's no directions there's no specific distances really so you just start walking you go okay well i'm going straight for a bit and then they've drawn a tree where I turn right, and then there's um, a sort of loopy bit. Oh, look, there's a roundabout up there. That could be the loopy bit. And then at the end, when you reach X, which is partly decided as to where you think it is, you need to find treasure, and the treasure is always there if you look for it. It could be sticks or stones, feathers, leaves, litter, physical things like that, but it also could be a sound. You find a thought, something more ephemeral. When I came up with this idea, it was initially a tool to explore the idea of value in objects and how we perceive value and, and how I could be playful with putting perceived value onto an object or not. Whether these objects became more valuable because of the process people had gone to find them. I like the idea that a thought could become treasure. Yeah, and, and then it also becomes challenging because then, you know, I would exhibit treasures found from Maps Nowhere, so then... The challenge is how you then exhibit someone's thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> that does sound challenging. Yeah, it's, it's, good, it's good to set yourself sort of impossible challenges. But that, yeah, like I say, that wasn't really about walking. But afterwards, I found that one of the most interesting things about that was the walks, was the journey and the act of going on walks. Then that became 
more obsessive during lockdown when we were only allowed to walk that put into focus that actually one of the important things about the process was the walking and the finding and the the exploring and the playful reason to be outside where does meanderers sit in terms of the wider field of walking art and do you think the concept of walking art is something that has developed more off the back of the pandemic it's difficult to say because it definitely has for me There was a point during lockdown where it just became all about walking. There was this crossover in time and there's basically three things that made me obsessed with it. We were only allowed daily walks and then there was a lot of protest going on. Black Lives Matter and also lots of other protests that came from that and they were trying to close down rights on protesting, not just for COVID reasons but for other political reasons as well. And then the Sarah Everard case happened. Police advised that women shouldn't go out walking. And that was the only thing we were allowed to do anyway. So whilst I was experiencing and many others were experiencing the wonderful, healing, enriching powers of walking, simultaneously, rights to walking were being put under question. So... At that point in time, I was like, walking, it's got to be about walking. It's it's all about walking. That's kind of where the, the real drive of the project came for me. Then I came across like the Walking Artist Network and great existing walking collectives like Walkspace in Birmingham. Also the Loiterers Resistance Movement in Manchester, who are pretty legendary. Morag Rose is their organiser. So yeah, fun actually people have been doing walking and walking art for a long time. And walking art goes back much further than that. The world of walking art opened up and expanded to me personally greatly during and just after lockdown. But I do believe that walking art, whilst it has been going on a long time, I think that it's had a new focus. A lot of scientific research has come out fairly recently in the last few years. Anecdotally, we know it makes us feel good, but now scientists have been like, let's figure out why. So yeah, on the science side of things as well, there's more interest in walking and research. I was speaking to someone from Active Knots the other day, and they were saying that they were very sports-focused before the pandemic. During and after the pandemic, that's changed their viewpoint. And she was saying like a lot of health providers and councils realise that it's not just about sports, it's just about people moving. And one of the most accessible ways of moving is walking. Obviously not totally accessible to everyone, but it is one of the more accessible forms. To be outside and to be moving under your own steam, usually with others, the social element was important as well. So yeah, from kind of the art side of it and the science side of it and the social prescribing and all of that officialness in communities has taken a shift more towards walking both from having been on walks with you and talking to you about it, what I really do pick up on is the, the desire to create that community. How do you think a sense of community helps to fuel creativity? For me, I think it's really vital. I don't really thrive on my own. Some artists do, and their process really is to lock themselves away in their studio, get in the zone and they'll paint and they'll paint and they'll paint and emerge six months later. And that's their thing. Solitude, while sometimes necessary, doesn't really feed me like it does for other people. And I think you need to figure out if you're an artist or a creative or any kind, it doesn't matter what your process is, but you need to know what your process is. You need to know what feeds you, what nourishes you. 
And for me, it is more community. I like working with others and chatting and bouncing ideas off, having a, a nosy at the person next to you and going, oh, what, what are you doing there? Can I have a go? Oh, oh, yeah, I might use that here and there. That kind of thing, for me, is really important. In the practical sense as well, sometimes you need a hand with something. And also in the conceptual, you need to bounce ideas off and have a laugh about things as well, get some encouragement and some support. But also... In terms of well-being, I think community is really important. I spent a year in living in Manchester for the first year of my master's, and it was a very lonely year. I did all the right things. You know, I went to things, workshops and joined societies at uni and went to things, events on my own and chatted to people and reached out to old friends and stuff. But something just didn't click where I didn't feel that I was part of a community, even though I was reasonably regularly still seeing people and always different people, not people that I was seeing again and again or bumping into quite randomly. And it's just those little things that you don't really notice when you have it. When you feel you're part of a community, when you run into people by accident, when you're a bit of a local at the pub or the shop or anything. And I think it's a very natural thing that we want to be part of communities. And I guess it's something as well that if you've grown up in a relatively small town, to then contrast that with a huge city like Manchester is a big adjustment. Yeah, and it's really sprawling as well. There's a lot of good stuff in it and I had a lot of good times as well. And like I said, I spoke to lots of people and I did make friends there, but I just didn't feel that sense of community. And, you know, a year isn't a long time to be in a place like Manchester. But I knew that it would take me years and years and years before I felt local there. And I knew that I was already or could very quickly become local in Nottingham. Community was actually really important to my own well-being and I couldn't provide well-being support for others if I wasn't kind of okay myself. I needed to be in a place where I felt supported so that then I could support others. And once I started to feel that sense of community in Nottingham, I I really wanted to open that up and, and offer that chance to feel community to other people as well. And so how are you wanting to develop that into the future in terms of building on what you've done with Meanderers. I know you mentioned a minute ago about potentially some more workshops coming up in the new year. I'm looking into at the minute funding opportunities because the first stage of it was just sort of self-funded and just gambling on making my money back on tickets and things, which is a slightly precarious way to do things. And it means also that for me to do this and to pay myself, I may have to up the price or I may have to make more business decisions. That has the potential to compromise on the accessibility of the workshops. I think that they are valuable and people do buy things and I think that people should pay for art as well and pay for for these experiences, you know, especially as it includes things like a meal and, and things like that. But I think that the prices that I set were very accessible for people and and being able to have a tiered system that was very inclusive of people on low income or people who work in the NHS or care or a student or under this age over that age there was a lot of people who could get concession prices and I like that I could do it for those prices and make it very accessible but if I want to make it sustainable as well as being accessible it would be good to have the support of funding so that I'm not so much gambling on my own money Looking into working with some other organisations as well, being able to connect to more specific community groups. Meanderers at the minute is very like open and welcome, it's you know, advertised to the public, which is really great. 
but I think that some of the activities would benefit more specific community groups who are accessing well-being support or who have disabilities and things like that that I'd be happy to work with and I'd, I'd love to take these ideas to them but that needs to be in context that they're happy with and it wouldn't be necessarily right to just combine the public with these specific community groups, at least initially. I was speaking to a wellbeing coach from the NHS who was saying that these walks could be really great as well as something that leads on from the work that they do with people. So instead of just dropping off with no support in place, hopefully they can get them with their expertise to the place where they feel that they can come along to a very public open group with different people and meanderers could be that bridge. So yeah, doing that kind of work as well, I created a publication as part of a, you know a book of the first three months of the project and I'd made a very small print run and I'd like to do a bigger print run and uh, maybe some other merch bits and do some more making. Walking is art and I've argued that a lot in the dissertation but I'd also like to do some making with my grubby little paws, making some art that people can also pick up and touch, that kind of art. I'd like to do some of that that's included with the walking. There's something to be said for something that's tangible and something you can grasp hold of. Yeah, and I've missed that side of it. And I think, yeah, I'd like to bring some of my own making into what Meanderers is as well. It sounds really exciting next stage of development. And I guess what you've done initially is kind of tested the waters and developed that knowledge base. And it's something that you can build on. I know that the role of food and social eating is another key aspect of what you're trying to do. Why is that important when it comes to cultivating this creative community? That element of food is a relatively new addition. It's maybe the least researched part of my practice. And it started with a series of workshops that I did called Cozy Craft Club, which was very cute, just as the name indicates. It was a course of six weeks. And every week we did a different seasonal craft and had a different soup. And I just did this because I just thought, that's what I want to do with my autumn and winter. Much the same as with Meanderers, I thought, this is my perfect Sunday. Let's invite other people to my perfect Sunday. And this is what I like to do in the autumn and winter in the evenings is is do seasonal crafts and eat delicious soup. Yeah, I designed those events and they were really popular. And I made all the soups. I've never done any chefing. That's not been my career journey at all. But I really enjoyed making the food for people and serving food to a, like, a room full of people and everyone eating together. And it made people talk to each other a lot more because they had something they were all sharing. It creates a familial feeling between people who were strangers an hour ago. I think it's very natural, very primal to share food. It makes you feel like you're part of the same tribe. There's some contemporary research around why commensality works. There hasn't really been much research before the last few years, really, into commensality and why that kind of social eating, that act of social eating and eating together is important. Probably one of the reasons that there hasn't been much research so far is that there hasn't been a need. It's all been fine. People tended to eat as families, but now more and more there's a rise in people eating most of their meals alone. People seem to eat quick food on the go, on their own, even if you're in a house share with friends, people are all on, you know, opposing schedules and things. There's not a set dinner time in that sort of traditional way. Not that that has to be the only way, the traditional way, but times have changed and people are eating on their own. It's actually really bad for you. 
I expected to find in my research that it would be good for you to eat with people and people enjoyed it and felt good. But I didn't expect that it would have negative things associated. But it's apparently it's really bad for you. It's really bad for your physical and mental health to consistently eat alone. I can understand that. I think that as someone who lives alone, I, I mean, I really do not like cooking particularly. I do it because I need to do it to survive. It's not something that I take pleasure in. But when you then invite a couple of friends around for an evening and cook dinner for them, it becomes a social experience and you get a lot more enjoyment out of A, providing that food that then gets appreciated and also having that sharing experience. And it makes the environment feel more like a home. Absolutely. And like I said, we can't avoid it completely. It's not that it's really bad for you to eat a meal alone. It's not terrible. But I think making more regular time, especially if you live alone, which, you know, a lot of people do, making regular time and having spaces and having events where you can regularly eat with others that's not super expensive. It's not going to bankrupt you for the week. And it is about that social thing. And you're all eating the same food. So it is like a more of a family meal than a restaurant. Yeah, I think that's really important. And that was sort of a surprise. I just thought it would be cute. That was all. It wasn't a big thought process. I just thought it would be nice and it would be a cute addition to this series of workshops to include soup. And I'm sure many of us can agree that soup is a welcome addition to any cosy occasion. That was the first half of my conversation with Amelia Days. Next time on Cleocast, we'll be hearing more from Amelia as we discuss the role of a facilitator through the lens of her involvement in events at Nottingham's The Carousel. She'll be sharing some survival tips for life as a creative freelancer, and we'll take a look at the role that arts education has to play in preparing people for the realities of creative practice. If you'd like to find out more about Meanderers, you can do so by heading over to meanderers.org. Be sure not to miss part two. If you like what you've heard so far, don't forget to subscribe. That way you'll never miss another episode. And if your friends are interested in art and creativity, why not share it with them as well? You can also support us by leaving a review as that really does help us to get the word out and allow others to find us. If you'd like to find out more about Clio Magazine, head on over to cleomagazine.com where you can learn all about the project as a whole and discover a variety of new content published on a regular basis. You can also follow us on Instagram and X at Clio Magazine to stay up to date with all the latest developments and more. Give us a like, a follow, a share. Let us know what you think. Clio Magazine is a brand new platform and your support is truly, truly appreciated. I've been Lawrence Robertson and until next time, thank you for listening to Cleocast. <laughs>